I'm Jasmine Moulton, and this is Reality Check. The inflation rate in Canada is currently nearing 8%, and this is the highest that it's been in about four decades. And while politicians and government officials are talking a lot about explanations for this increase in the inflation rate, none of them seem to be pointing to themselves or their own actions. Take a listen. Inflation is not a made-in-Canada challenge, and it's actually less severe here than among our peers. We also know that inflation a global phenomenon, which is a lingering result of the COVID recession and has been exacerbated by Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine. And high energy prices have put upward pressure on inflation in Canada, and that is expected to continue in the months ahead. The unprovoked Russian invasion is creating volatility and uncertainty in the global economy. And then Vladimir Putin illegally invaded Ukraine forcing up the price of food and fuel. And in light of their record profits, economists have said that they are contributing significantly to inflation, that corporate greed is contributing to the inflation that we're experiencing right now. Reopening the economy has brought new complications, leading to higher inflation around the world and here at home. And with oil prices rising further in recent weeks, we can expect inflation to move up again. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is driving up international prices for oil, wheat, and other commodities. This will put further upward pressure on inflation in Canada and around the world. We expect inflation will remain close to 5% through the first half of 2022 and then move lower. What we just heard was a bunch of different Canadian politicians and government officials giving various excuses as to why Canadians are currently experiencing high rates of inflation in this country. In particular, there's five claims that government made in that clip that are being dutifully echoed by their friends in the legacy media that need to be debunked. Let's get started. The first myth is that inflation is happening everywhere. It's a global phenomenon. First off, this is a terrible excuse. If you are bad with money, but all of your friends are also bad with money, that doesn't mean that your choices are responsible. And second of all, the Bank of Canada Canada's mandate is not to copy what every other central bank across the world is doing. The Bank of Canada's mandate is to target inflation to about 2%. So if other central banks around the world are missing their targets and are taking actions that are conducive to inflation, then maybe you shouldn't follow what all your counterparts around the world are doing. But more fundamentally, it's not even true that this is a global phenomenon. There are many OECD countries with inflation rates lower than Canada, including G7 countries as well. At the end of the day, when our politicians say it's happening everywhere, it's not our fault, that's essentially them avoiding responsibility for some of their current policies that are conducive to inflation. For example, take the carbon tax that exists in Canada, but doesn't exist in some of the world's largest emitting countries like the United States and China. The carbon tax makes food prices and energy prices more expensive. It's designed to do this. So no politicians, inflation isn't happening everywhere around the world. And some of your own policies are making it a lot worse here at home. Myth number two. We're currently experiencing inflation because of the conflict in Russia and Ukraine. As our politicians will state, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine is causing inflationary pressure here at home because the region is well known for its wheat exports, for example, as well as its oil and gas. This may sound odd to you, or at least oddly familiar, because Canada itself is a oil and gas exporter and also a quote-unquote global breadbasket. 
So if it is true that there are now global shortages in oil and gas, and there's a void to fill in the global export of wheat, you would think that Canada could maybe up its production in those two areas and actually take advantage of increasing economic output in this current market, which of course would help to counter inflation here at home. While Canada makes up less than 1% of the global population, we account for about 12% of wheat exports globally. On the oil and gas front, according to CAF, which is the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, Canada has the third largest oil reserves in the world, yet we import oil from foreign suppliers, even though Canada produces more oil and natural gas than we need to meet energy demands within our country. Currently, more than half the oil used in Quebec and Atlantic Canada is imported from foreign sources, including the US and Saudi Arabia. So again, you'd think this would be a great opportunity for Canada to step up and help meet some of this demand globally, but we can barely even get our own oil and gas shipped across our own country, let alone overseas. What's worse, according to the Financial Post, Canada imported about 10,000 barrels per day of petroleum products from Russia last year, about 50% made up of gasoline and gasoline blends. So there were certainly a lot of Canadians that were very excited in anticipation with the prospect of the German Chancellor coming to Canada last month, meeting with the Prime Minister, and eager to alleviate Germans' current dependency on Russian oil and gas. But while those in the oil and gas sector here in Canada might have waited with bated breath to hear what the outcome of this meeting was, they may have been disappointed. The Canadian and German governments came to an agreement that Canada would provide Germany with some hydrogen generated from wind farms out in Atlantic Canada. As CTV News reports, Canada currently produces almost no hydrogen that would fit the goals of the agreement. Both countries believe a new hydrogen trade corridor could be set up and running well before 2030. Both governments are clear this agreement will not solve Germany's immediate desire to wean itself off Russian oil and gas, a necessity as the war in Ukraine has threatened European energy security. So it's really unclear how Canadian hydrogen in 2030 is going to keep Germans warm this winter. But what is clear is that this seems like a huge missed opportunity for Canadian oil and gas. And to conclude, it's really unclear how this is the Russian government's fault and not the Canadian government's fault for missing an opportunity to stop oil and gas prices and food prices from skyrocketing here in Canada. Let's move on to myth number three, which is that the Bank of Canada didn't print money. The Bank of Canada recently tweeted out that it did not print money during the pandemic to fund the government's COVID-19 spending. So I reached out to Franco Terrazano, who's the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation with a background in economics, to ask him a few questions. Franco, the government spent over $600 billion in fiscal year 2020 to 2021, but it brought in less than $300 billion in revenues and ran a $354.2 billion deficit as a result. So how did the government finance this deficit? Well, governments can raise revenue uh, by, by taxes or by uh, selling bonds to financial institutions, but the Bank of Canada can also buy Government of Canada bonds. And what was so different about the pandemic is that you saw the Bank of Canada's bond purchasing on overdrive. So the Bank of Canada's balance sheet increased by more than $300 billion during the pandemic largely by buying Government of Canada debt. Now, at the heart of the pandemic, we saw the Bank of Canada's assets grow by about 300%. Now, that growth in the Bank of Canada's assets during the pandemic is larger than the growth that we saw in the recession of the 70s, of the 80s, of the 90s, and even larger than the recession in 08, 09. 
So during the 2020 budget year, we saw federal politicians ran up a $328 billion deficit. Now, during that time, the central bank created uh, new money to buy about $275 billion worth of government of Canada bonds. Now, on April 19th, 2021, we had Finance Minister Christia Freeland announced that the projected deficit of 2021 would be about $155 billion that year or about $3 billion deficit per week. By remarkable coincidence, only two days later, the Bank of Canada announced that it would be buying $3 billion worth of government bonds every single week. Yes, I know what you're thinking. Remarkable coincidence. But look, that really seems that the printing press is being used to fund Ottawa's deficit spending, regardless of where they're buying the government bonds uh, from or whether they're buying old or new government debt. This is getting a bit into the weeds here, but the bank claims it didn't buy government bonds directly from government, that it only bought existing bonds on the open market. Yet the bank's assets grew across a number of categories. So did the bank directly finance the government's spending in a different way other than buying bonds directly from government, like by buying treasury bills from the government, for example? Well, the central bank is buying government debt and is increasing the amount of money. And remember, the more money or dollars that the central bank creates, the less that your dollars in your bank account or your savings account will buy. That is the inflation tax, and Canadians are suffering from it today. Now, absolutely, the central bank is lowering borrowing costs for the government of Canada, and the central bank, the Bank of Canada, is buying government debt. Whether it's old debt or it's new debt, they're buying government of Canada bonds. And just because they are buying government of Canada bonds from a middleman, it doesn't mean that they're not creating new dollars to buy government debt. Also, another important thing to remember is that it's not like the central bank wasn't active in the primary market. Now, I have a quote that I want to read from you. It's from Tiff Macklem. Uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada at his committee appearance in 2020, he said, quote, we also took a series of steps to reduce our purchases of government of Canada treasury bills in the primary market. At the peak, we were buying as much as 40% of the T-bill auction. Lastly, the bank says quantitative easing is technically different than money printing. How would you respond to that statement? The central bank expanded its balance sheet by about $300 billion during the pandemic. Now, how did it get the money to buy all of those assets? Did it have a bake sale? No, it created new money with the click of a keypad. And, and, and look, the Bank of Canada says it didn't buy bonds with cash, but are using settlement balances. Okay, but that's creating new money. Because what are settlement balances? Well, let's, let's quote directly from the Bank of Canada when they say, quote, settlement balances or reserves are a unique type of money that the central bank creates, end quote. Oh, by the way, that's from the Bank of Canada's own website on understanding quantitative easing. So Jasmine, what do, what do we make of this Bank of Canada Twitter thread? Well, it seems like the Bank of Canada spinners are working really hard for their next bonus. Because remember, the Bank of Canada during the pandemic in 2020 and 2021 
were busy handing out $45 million in pay raises and bonuses. Remember, that was during the pandemic while their neighbors in the private sector lost their job, took a pay cut, maybe even lost their business. And it was also in 2021 uh, when CPI was above um, 3% for nine consecutive months and as inflation continued to took off. So why did the Bank of Canada hand out $45 million in bonuses and pay raises? Well, that's a really good question because the Bank of Canada itself admits that it failed to meet its inflation target. In fact, the Bank of Canada only has one job, and that's to keep inflation low and around 2%. But if you've been to a grocery store or a gas station in the last year, you know that the Bank of Canada failed to do its only job. So why would the Bank of Canada be handing out millions and millions and millions of dollars in bonuses and pay raises? So again, what do we make of this whole thread from the Bank of Canada on uh, money printing? It looks like those, city, uh, those Bank of Canada spinners are working hard for their next bonus. So it really sounds here like the Bank of Canada is playing a semantics game. They say they didn't print cash, but here we are in a situation where the money supply has greatly increased since the start of the pandemic. Inflation is approaching 8% and their target was to keep it at two. This brings us nicely to myth number four, which is that you can't criticize the Bank of Canada governor. Of course, there are your typical suspects in the legacy media that lost their minds when Pierre Polyev stated that he'd fire the Bank of Canada governor. But in reality, there were people from across the political spectrum that were lambasting his comments. Kelly McFarlane wrote in the National Post, it's a rash, reckless, and dangerous pledge. To implement it would be wholly irresponsible. The independence of the Bank of Canada is vital if Canadians are to retain any confidence in its reliability as an institution. So let's talk about Canadians' confidence in the Bank of Canada. Angus Reid conducted a poll recently that showed 41% of Canadians did not have confidence in the Bank of Canada to get inflation back under control. This sounds to me a lot like Canadians don't have confidence in the bank to do its job, not that they're concerned about the bank's independence. Even Paul Beaudry, the deputy governor of the Bank of Canada, stated this. The aspect that we should be held accountable is exactly right. Right now, we completely understand that lots of Canadians can be frustrated at the situation. It's difficult for a lot of people, and we haven't managed to keep inflation at our target, so it's appropriate that people are asking us questions. It's about accountability, not the bank's independence. The argument could even be made that confidence in the Bank of Canada would be eroded if it's not going to do its job, which it hasn't been doing very well. So yes, absolutely, the Bank of Canada should be held responsible. And last but not least, the government loves to say this line that it had no choice to spend what it spent during COVID-19. They had our backs after all, and wouldn't it be so scary to think if there was another government in power during the pandemic? So before I discredit this statement entirely, Recall, this is a government that has a lot of problems balancing budgets. Our Prime Minister stated on the record that if you spend enough, budgets should quote-unquote balance themselves. And this disastrous way of thinking came to fruition when after his first five years as Prime Minister, he missed the mark by balancing the budget. He added over $100 billion to Canada's national debt before COVID-19 even arrived on Canada's shores. But putting all of that aside, it's clear from International Monetary Fund, the IMF's reporting, that Canada outspent its peers in the G7 by a long shot. The IMF states, Canada spent 19.7% of its GDP on its COVID response, which was about $435.2 
Furthermore, analyzing the IMF data, the Fraser Institute reported that Canada went into the most debt over COVID-19 compared to 35 other high-income countries. Here's a quote from the report. Canada has the highest deficit to GDP ratio at nearly 20%. And you can see this chart that's on the screen here. To put this in perspective, Canada's net borrowing is more than double the ratio of Germany and triple that of Sweden and Ireland. Furthermore, Canada ranks higher than the United States, the United Kingdom, and is almost double that of Australia, which has a similar economy to Canada. So while it's true that Trudeau opened the floodgates of spending during COVID-19, it's unclear why he had to spend so much more comparatively to other countries. Thankfully, the Fraser Institute offers more insight as to why this might be the case. They found that the government wasted at least tens of billions in, quote, poorly targeted assistance during the pandemic. One example of this was they found that 12 billion went to students deemed to be dependents living with parents in households with at least 100,000 in household income. Sadly, the Fraser Institute found a ton more examples like this that frankly just hurt your brain as a taxpayer. So here's a reality check. The government should stop avoiding blame and making excuses for why there's inflation in Canada. If politicians and government officials are really wondering why we have inflation in Canada, they should stop making excuses and look in the mirror. They should meet their inflation targets. They should stop with the policies that drive up food and energy prices like carbon taxes. And this should be obvious, but apparently it's not. They should stop spending money that they don't have. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. And don't forget to watch a new episode of Reality Check every Wednesday. If you've been enjoying Reality Check, then please support our work. Visit donate.tnc.news. Music.